He needs to keep his promises. You don't know what's true anymore. It hurts me to see people burn the flag. Race relations. Oh, yeah, I can't have a gun. I just don't like the politics. Unbelievable. It's what you've been waiting for all day. America Now. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. This is not how you win, Republicans. It is not how you win. Jeff Sessions just a little over, what, an hour or two ago. Uh, Sorry, not resigned. Recused himself. Here's how it's going to go, though. So you've got the Attorney General of the United States. Just as a quick review, I know a lot of you have probably already seen or heard this, but just in case, got to bring everybody here in the hut, in the Freedom Hut, up to speed, and then we will slice and dice the fake news and get into the real analysis and what all this means. So Jeff Sessions is the Attorney General of the United States, and he is a part of the Trump administration which means that he has a tremendous target on him for the mainstream media and for the left. And there is, as I mentioned to you last night, a need, a desire, and I think, I wouldn't call it a conspiracy necessarily, but an effort, a concerted effort, to keep Russia and Trump ties to Russia in the headlines. This is what they are insisting on doing. This is the media's plan of attack against the administration. I said to you last night on this show, every week there'll be a new Russia story, even if it's not that interesting. They just have to keep Russia in the headlines because that is the uh, tip of the spear for their efforts against the, against the administration. It's the thin end of the wedge. That's how they can bring in all this other stuff about the conspiracy and all the terrible things that Trump did with Russia to defeat poor Hillary. Oh, so sad in the election. So they've been asking all of these uh, various nominees about, for the, for the cabinet positions like Jeff Sessions, they've been asking them, well, what do you know about Russia? What happened with you in Russia? Um, and getting them on record. Here is how Senator Al Franklin, Al, Al Franken, uh, questioned Jeff Sessions when they were going through the whole confirmation process. 57, please. These documents also allegedly stated, quote, there was a continuing exchange of information during the campaign between Trump surrogates and intermediaries for the Russian government. Now, again, I'm telling you this is it's coming out, so... And if there is any evidence that anyone affiliated with the Trump campaign communicated with the Russian government in the course of this campaign, what will you do? Senator Franken, I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I did not have communications with the Russians, um, and I'm unable to comment on it. Then it comes out because the media has sources inside of the intelligence community, I think inside the DOJ. And oh, by the way, it is beyond any reasonable doubt at this point that the Obama administration took it upon itself to try and poison the well for the incoming Trump administration as they were leaving office. Obama, who now is supposed to be leading the Democrat Party despite being out of power, 
His last official acts in office really involved, or at least his top personnel, people in the White House, involved making sure that this Russia story uh, had as much attention and, as they said, left behind a trail because they thought that the investigators would destroy it. So they were spreading the Russia story far and wide in the White House. This is subversion from inside the White House to try and destroy the White House that is coming into being. That's what was happening. That's now clear as well. But so the Times has these sources. Other media have these sources saying uh, that, well, of course, there are these ties to Russia that we have to examine. There's this investigation going on. But with Sessions, turns out he had two meetings with the Russian ambassador Kislyak, who is best known for being the individual on the phone with Mike Flynn. So Kislyak led to the Flynn resignation, although we were told that that was a resignation because of lack of trust at the top reaches of the administration. Flynn lied to Pence. That's why he had to resign, not because of anything wrong. And the more you think about this, I should note, that a soon-to-be national security advisor would have normal phone contact with the ambassadors of a whole bunch of countries, but especially important countries that aren't necessarily close friends. Russia, China, go down the list. That's completely normal and in the course of his duties, but he had to resign because he lied to Pence. So Kizilyak and the former national security advisor, Mike Flynn, leads to a a senior resignation, and now Kizilyak and Sessions leads to a recusal, not a resignation, but I want to go on the record right now and tell you that it is recusal they were demanding last night, it will be resignation they are demanding tomorrow, and it will be prosecution they will be demanding next week. This is just feeding meat to the media piranhas. It will only attract more bites. This does not... Make them go away. Once again, the Democrats have tricked the Republicans into thinking that acts of good faith and fair play will earn their respect and their gratitude, maybe engender some sense of bipartisan uh, bipartisanship. Nonsense. Hogwash. Baloney. This is the game plan. They are going to use the courts and the media and the bureaucracy to hobble and wound and eventually destroy the administration if they can. I've said to you before, they don't want to oppose they don't want to just oppose the agenda. They want Trump destroyed. They want his people to have their lives ruined and they want them in shackles. They want them imprisoned if possible. That's the plan. That's what they are trying to bring into being with all this stuff about Russia and all the, the traitor and treason. I played audio for you of mainstream news anchors getting paid millions of dollars a year. It's like, well, isn't Trump guilty of treason? No, no, Trump, there's no evidence that Trump is guilty of treason. But interesting that you go on TV and say that, and that's considered normal or okay in some places. The president of the United States guilty of treason. Wow. But here we are. It's like we never learn, Republicans. We never learn. We won the election and now it looks like they don't want to win while they have power. They don't want to actually do what they're supposed to do. We have Sessions recusing himself. Play that clip. I've said this, quote, I have now decided to recuse myself from any existing or future investigations 
of any matter relating in any way to the campaigns for President of the United States. I went on to say this announcement should not be interpreted as confirmation of the existence of any investigation or suggestive of the scope of any such, such investigation because we in the Department of Justice uh, resist confirming or denying the very existence of investigation. So he's recused himself. Did Eric Holder recuse himself from anything involving the Obama administration? Anything come to mind? Better question. Did his follow-on Attorney General, Loretta Lynch, when she met with Bill Clinton on the tarmac right before the DOJ was deciding what to do about Hillary's email server, which, as you can read the law yourself, don't always think, and don't think at all, actually, and I'm sure many of you don't, that you need to be a lawyer to understand this stuff. Lawyers want you to believe that there's some magic to what they do. It's really just reading and spending a lot of time sitting in a chair and reading and sending people large bills for your time. That's what being a lawyer mostly is. Not that I've ever been a lawyer, but that's what I'm told and I've dealt with them. Okay, so you can read the law yourself and see that Hillary was in violation. Hillary was in violation of the federal statute. on. But the point here being Loretta Lynch did not recuse herself from that. And remember, it's the appearance of impropriety that's supposed to lead to a recusal. How could anyone argue that there wasn't at least an appearance of impropriety there? I just want to know. But you'll notice the difference. Democrats, as much as I sit here night after night and go through all of their bad ideas and their uh, temper tantrums and the destruction they wreak on the country, Democrats like to win. And they'll play dirty and they'll do whatever they have to do But they circle the wagons, they take care of their own, and they have a discipline that seems to be lacking among Republicans. Now, I know what a lot of you would probably say at this point, and it's a fair one. It's a fair point. It's it's just a recusal buck. He's not going to be involved in the investigations of Trump-Russia ties. All right. What would have happened if he didn't recuse himself? They would just keep whining about this. What's going to happen now that he has recused himself? Do any of you think for one second this is going to lead to less wild speculation about how the commander-in-chief is a traitor to his country? I think you all know the answer to that. Do any of you think that there will be some goodwill that this creates between Democrats and Republicans? They'll say, okay, Republicans are willing to police their own. Of course not. They see this as an opening. They see this as weakness, as a wound that they can expand. They can rub salt in it. They can make it worse and fester. Last night it was recusal. Today it's, uh, sorry, tomorrow it'll be resignation, and next week it'll be prosecution. And this is a voluntary act of accountability that will be met with, behind closed doors, cheers and sneers from Democrats who realize that this is just feeding the beast. It's not going to stop anything. What did Sessions really do here? Uh, Yes, you can get into the interpretation of this. You can get into... Uh, Well, people who are saying that he perjured himself have zero understanding of the law. Perjury, for obvious reasons, has to be a a, a black and white case of lying under oath about a material issue. So it can't it's not perjury, for example, if someone says the night your wife was murdered, sir, where were you? And you turn to the judge and you say, "Uh, judge, I have to go to the bathroom. And that's your response. That's obviously not perjury. Even though you haven't answered the question, you didn't give an answer to the question. It's not 
perjury to say something that you think is a an honest answer to a question and turns out to be false even. Perjury has to be lying with intent. It has to be willful. And I do not believe any honest person could hear the exchange between Sessions and Franken or read his response, his written response to Senator Leahy, who is among the among in the pantheon of uh, blowhards. Leahy is very high on the list. Um, But. You read his response and there's no way you come away from that saying to yourself, well, Clearly, Sessions was trying and lie about what I might add. He had a chance meeting next to he had a chance meeting at a think tank gathering on the sidelines with a lot of ambassadors. And he also then had one as a, as a member of the Senate Armed Services Committee had a sit down in his office with Kiziliak, he said, on unrelated issues. But this is all part of the game. This is the Valerie Plame playbook that they used. Remember that? Oh, they turned the administration upside down. They put the administration on trial for the Iraq war, and they did it by destroying a man who did nothing wrong, Scooter Lewis Libby. And the special prosecutor, which is what the Democrats are demanding now, Fitzgerald, knew that it was a scalp hunting expedition, knew it, and he was willing to play along. Good way to get your name out there with all the prominent Democrats who will later on then, of course, hire you, give you a great job at a very fancy law firm, seven-figure-plus salary, but you got to do your part for the Democrat Party and take out a senior Republican target. They were hoping for Cheney. That whole investigation ended up giving you nothing other than a perjury prosecution. That's all they could come up with. A prosecution for a perjury that did not even involve a name being leaked that was protected under the Covert uh, or the Identities Protection Act. They just got them on process. Part of the problem that we're going to have to face down with this opposition to everything Trump is doing, all of his people, is that Democrats love process. They love to bog you down in these things. They like to engage in lawfare. They like to make everything a legal matter. They like to hold criminal sanctions for non-criminal behavior over the heads of their political enemies. They want to criminalize politics. Don't think for a second they're just going to stop at Sessions' recusal or even his resignation. They want to send him to prison if they can. They might try the same thing with Michael Flynn. This is how they play the game. Meanwhile, what are Republicans doing? Well, we should have an investigation. Well, I've got an idea. Let's investigate. Let's just, you know, let's get to the bottom of this. Let's get to the facts. John McCain wants there to be an investigation, too. Not a good idea, everybody, but I guess it's going to happen. We'll go into a break. We'll be right back. Now, I don't want to seem conspiratorial, although maybe I shouldn't hesitate because media's not hesitating. They're, They're pushing the most grand conspiracy imaginable. What would you have said to me if I had told you? What would you have said if I had told you a year ago that mainstream news outlets would be suggesting that there was uh, illegal collusion and treason between a Republican presidential campaign and the Russian government to throw an election because the Russians had compromising material on the presidential candidate? You'd say, Buck, great plot for a spy espionage thriller, a novel, you know, a Tom Clancy style, uh, but you, you wouldn't have taken it seriously. And, and yet here we are. I'm completely open to dealing with that and the calls for justice and 
accountability that are currently being made. I just would like one bit of, of evidence, one piece of evidence that's not, well, there's a classified transcript that tells us that there was a contact between this person and that person, but we don't get to know what was said. We also are allowed to know about private phone conversations now via top secret intercepts. Is that how this works? Is that how the game is played in D.C. now? Uh, we, we should have known, by the way. There's a part of me that feels like we should have figured out sooner that the Obama administration, as soon as Hillary lost, on the way out, they were going to take this approach and do everything that they possibly could to make life uh, impossible for the new administration, to make their agenda impossible to implement. The attitude of the Democrats, I think this is quite clear to many of us now, is if Hillary can't have the presidency, they'll burn the whole thing down. They used to talk about the revered institutions of our democracy. And when I mean used to, I'm talking about a few months ago. And then Hillary lost, and all of a sudden it was anything goes. The gloves come off. No holds barred. And that's where we are. We are in the dirtiest political environment, and the news cycle is a reflection of this, in, certainly in my lifetime. I've never seen anything like this, and I don't think anybody has, because there is a revolt going on. People who have obligations, legal obligations, professional ethical obligations to do their jobs within the United States government are deciding on their own that they are more important, th- that opposing Trump is more important than their oath. That's where we currently are. I also have to say that this seems to me to be curious timing. Trump's gi- Trump gives a speech. The media spends one day saying the speech is, is good. And then, whoop, on the other side, all of a sudden, you have all this Russia information coming out. Information that has been known for a while. They hold this back. It is a concerted effort and a concerted effort involving information meant to undermine the duly elected government of the American people. Can we call that a conspiracy? A conspiracy is a real thing. Not all conspiracies involve uh, anxious, paranoid people. In this case, we're worried that they're after us because they're after us, it seems to me. But a little fun side note here. They're so desperate to pile on to this anti-Trump, Russia, anti-Sessions nonsense that you've got Claire McCaskill tweeting out earlier today that she's been on the—she's a senator. You know Claire McCaskill. She's been on the Armed Services Committee for 10 years. No call or meeting with Russian ambassador uh, ever. Ambassadors call members of foreign relations. It's funny because she doesn't know her own Twitter account because a couple years before that, Claire McCaskill on Twitter, off to meeting with Russian ambassador, upset about the arbitrary, cruel decision to end all U.S. adoptions. So you've got U.S. senators willing to lie just so they can have their two cents thrown in the middle of the table of let's take care of Sessions, let's get him prosecuted, let's get him out of office. Uh, I'm telling you, these people fight dirty. How many more times do we have to see it? We've got a lot more teams. Stay with me. Buck Sexton with America Now, where there's always something to talk about, where you can trade opinions with Buck. Not sure you'll win, though. Just call 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. All right, Buck, you're on. Welcome back, Team Buck. 844-900-2825. I want to ask you, what do you think about the Sessions recusal? It's not a resignation. He's just saying he's not going to get involved. 
in investigations of the administration's ties to Russia or any investigations about the administration. Uh, he said uh, he, he has said that this was, you know, he's OK with with where this is. And uh, he said in retrospect, he should have slowed down. Uh, here's what Sessions said about it. Play clip 53, please. Senator Franken's question. Will you just not thinking of the meeting with the Russian ambassador, or did you not consider it relevant? Um, I was uh, uh, taken aback a little bit about this brand new information, this allegation that uh, surrogates, and I had been called a surrogate for Donald Trump, had been meeting continuously with Russian officials, uh, and uh, that's what I, it struck me very hard, and that's what I focused my answer on. And uh, in retrospect, if I should have slowed down and said, but I did meet one Russian official a couple of times, that would be the ambassador. Thank you all. So he says that he would have done it a little bit differently. I still think that people are making a much, wow, lines are lighting up like a Christmas tree in here. It's how I like it. Um, but I still think that they're, they're giving ground here and... It's just going to get worse. It is just going to get worse. Remember with Loretta Lynch, what we have in the media, the different outlets that are are right of center or even just honest, we're like, well, that's pretty terrible. You can't sit down with the husband of a person that's being investigated for possible federal criminal charges who's the nominee of a major political party for an election that is on. You cannot sit and have a private meeting where you tell your security detail to stay outside the plane days before a public. And no, you cannot do that days before the public announcement. You can't. But she did. And they did. And that's how it happened. We said, no, you can't. And you know what their response was? You know, the Democrats response was, what are you going to do about it? And they were right. Well, I guess what we're going to do about it was defeat their nominee. Ooh, it burns. It burns. Yes, it does. But that is what happened. So we should have no illusions whatsoever that by taking this minor, uh, this minor step aside from the investigation, I mean, it's now the deputy attorney general is going to run it. Okay. Also, all the people that are just make a note of this, everyone that's screaming really loudly about how we need an investigation, we need an investigation. They when the investigation is over, I promise you, they when it doesn't show any grand conspiracy with the Kremlin, you know, running Jeff Sessions as a Russian agent. Uh, when that's not what the end results in the investigation are, you know, what's going to happen with these people that say all they want is the truth? I'm going to say the investigation was tainted say that they don't uh, accept the results, it was politicized. And then they'll just talk about it for another year or two and hope that it tips the tables in favor of Democrats in the next election. That's the plan. All right, everyone wants to get in on this topic, and I can understand why. We have Butch in North Carolina, WPTI. Welcome to the Freedom Hut, sir. Hey, Buck, how are you tonight? I'm good, I'm good. Thank you for calling in. Listen, the thing about this that really frosts my cake the most is the fact that after the allegation about uh, this wonderful man Jeff Sessions come up, there was not, there has not been a single Republican senator or representative to come out and speak in his defense. So you know, your theory of a conspiracy uh, is pretty close to accurate as far as I'm concerned. I don't know why these people on the right 
that we elect are so spineless that they can't stand up in defense of somebody as honorable as Jeff Sessions. That just that just absolutely tears me up. And if there was another conservative party to join tomorrow besides the Republicans, I would join it. And I'm not so sure that here in North Carolina we have the Constitutional Party, that I may not go up and sign up for it because the Republicans, you know, they kept begging us and begging us to give them this, give them this house, give them that house. I, I agree. They made a lot of promises, Butch, and right now I'm seeing – I'm seeing lack of backbone. I'm seeing weak spines among Republicans left and right, and that's not making me happy at all. Butch in North Carolina, Shields High, thank you for calling in. Uh, we have uh, Tim in Mississippi, WBUV. Welcome, Tim. Hey, Buck, thank you very much. Thank you. Listen to a couple of things, and, and, and North Carolina there was absolutely right. Uh, I am a recovering Republican because they're nutless. They are absolutely – they will not stand up for anything. And by the way, you do a great John McClain. That, oh, John that, that <laughs> Thank that you. Really, Thank that you. was really, really good. But, but here's what I want to see happen. First of all, um, you know, the, as you said just a minute ago, you know, the, the Democrats, they say, what are you going to do about it? That's exactly – that's the thing that I'm, I'm, I'm attracted to Trump for is that's exactly what the Republicans ought to say is what are you going to do about it? And, and Sessions recusing himself, while he's – I think that's absolutely wrong. He should have told him just to stuff it. But while he's recused, I hope to God that he's out there investigating Hillary Clinton, that he's out there investigating what I am, am – in my, in my mind, I am sure that, that the Benghazi whole fiasco there was probably an illegal transfer of weapons to people that we weren't supposed to be transferring weapons to. I want somebody to get to the bottom of Fast and Furious – I mean, but the Republicans, they... they can I, can I just toss a thought in there, Tim? I think... I'm, I didn't mean, to, didn't mean to cut off your train of thought. I'm sorry. I had a delay there for a second. I just want to say your point about Benghazi, it's it's worth noting that according to the New York Times' own reporting on the previous administration, on what the Barack Obama White House was doing, what they were up to, they were thinking of, oh, we need to change records or we need to influence the information that is left behind for the next administration because they didn't trust the next administration. Well, that also works the other way. Are we, are we really supposed to believe that the Trump administration is going to have access uh, to all of the files and the information on the high side, the classified side, about what the White House did the night of Benghazi, about what their communications team was doing for those Sunday shows? Uh, th they were clearly thinking about this. This isn't something that just happened out of nowhere. They wanted the Russia story all over the place. I bet they wanted to make sure there were other stories that they were. Uh, there was not much of a trace left behind of them. That much I would wager. I can't prove it, but they don't have to prove anything, it seems, these days. So why can't I say some stuff? Yeah, that's exactly right. But but those are those are three. I mean, they're talking about wanting to put Sessions in jail or, or, or anybody in the Trump administration. Let's start with Lynch and Holder and Barack Obama, he uh, the the stuff that that he did that obviously he didn't do anything that's provably illegal at this point. But they they get on to Sessions, you know, Session White he committed perjury, and I understand that perjury only has to do with you know if you're under oath or if you're you're talking with law enforcement. But do the words if you like your doctor you can keep your doctor? Oh yeah, well that's that's like the policy the policy lies are, are beyond are beyond doubt. Uh, but Tim in Mississippi, thank you very much for calling in. Appreciate it. Shields high. Uh, we also have uh, Tom in North Carolina. WPTI. What's up, Tom? Hey, 
I have another conspiracy theory for you. Okay. Why would the Russians be interested in getting rid of Donald Trump as well? I mean, they they basically walked all over Barack Obama the whole time he was. Yeah, well, the, this is part of this is part of why I don't buy into this, Tom, because everyone keeps saying, "Oh, Trump is in Russia's pocket." First of all. We've always been told that Trump is erratic. You can't trust him. He doesn't. He doesn't know what he's going to do. Nobody knows what he's going to do. That's not who the Russians would want to have in office. Somebody. They want somebody who's weak. They want the the, the idea that they're going to control him. And how are they going to control him? By the way, well, what are they going to do? No kidding. They're going to ruin his reputation. You have. I mean, I'm probably going to get into this later in the show. You have the Washington Post citing Hitler posting about crimes for the communities that he was trying to exterminate and directly linking that to Donald Trump wanting people to know how many uh, crimes are committed by illegal aliens in this country. Uh, they're, they're, they're making The Washington Post is making straight-up Hitler comparisons to the President of the United States, and we're supposed—it's just—it's insane. It is insane what they're it's doing. the pale. It's, to, it's totally beyond the pill. But, you know, we're supposed to believe that, that Trump is in Russia's pocket. I, I want to know why. I mean, my point about, about the Washington Post is that how much worse, how much more reputational damage can this guy suffer? What could the Russians possibly have? Newspapers are calling him a Nazi. Straight up saying that this guy's, I mean, they're not using the, they're not saying he is a Nazi, but they're comparing him to Nazis. I mean, that's pretty much the same thing, isn't it? Oh, man, it's terrible, Tom. It's crazy. He's a, you know, Here's somebody else they should investigate. What happened to this, the whole thing with Nancy Pelosi uh, signing a bill that where, where her husband invested in a company that she then uh, voted for a bill that made their company increase in Oh, yeah, and Congress, Congress exempted themselves from insider trading for years. I mean, Pelosi, the land yeah. deal out in California, I know about that, with the light rail near it, it gets more valuable. I mean— all these no one ever seems to find out how these Democrat politicians go into office, you know, not that rich, and they come out super rich. It's like, whoa, hold on. I know Pelosi's husband's where the money comes from, but still, some of the they've gotten a lot wealthier. I promise you that. I promise you, it hasn't been, oh, yeah. uh, it has been feast, not famine, in the Pelosi household ever since she became a prominent member of Congress. But Tom, I got to leave it there. Uh, Tom from North Carolina, thanks for calling in. We got a lot of lines lit. You know what? We'll, we'll run through some more calls. After this break, Team Buck, stay with me. We are fired up. We are locked in. We are loaded. I'll be right back. And there's more on this Russia conspiracy that's now back in the top of the headlines. Uh, you have Jared Kushner, the husband of first daughter Ivanka Trump, Donald Trump's daughter, his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, and short-tenured uh, short former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, met with a Russian envoy in December, which the White House has come out and said. This is this just this just came out when was this? Yeah, this came out today too. Isn't it a, incredible timing? President gives a speech, people say, Wow, that agenda is really powerful. I'd like to see him see that through. He's even taken some Democrat ideas and is going to implement those too. He's stealing the Democrats' lunch. What do they offer? He's gonna do infrastructure, he's gonna do paid family leave, he's gonna do manufacturing jobs, bring back high-paying jobs to the middle class. He's doing all that, he says. He wants to. What do Democrats offer? Climate change, transgender bathrooms, funding for Planned Parenthood. That's that's the, ooh, that's what they offer you. That's really exciting stuff. Uh, meanwhile, here we are, right after the speech, and all these Russia stories. You remember last night I said this to you. I was on this show, and I said, well, I mean, I host the show, so of course I'm on it. <laughs> I said to you, 
they're going to keep Russia in. The, they have to keep Russia in the headlines because then the innuendos take care of themselves as long as it's in the forefront of people's minds. So here's the New York Times piece today. Kushner and Flynn met with Russian envoy in December, White House says. So the White House is admitting to this. And you read this piece, and they're telling you all about this and how Kizilyak, the Russian ambassador, is with Flynn, and Flynn is inner circle, and Kushner is a senior advisor and is being given, as has been reported elsewhere, a lot of responsibility for foreign policy. It's been said that he may be the special envoy for the uh, Arab-Israeli peace process, and there's all they have big plans for Mr. Kushner, um, who I've actually met. He's a nice guy. I met him a long time ago before anybody thought he was going to be a one-man State Department. Anyway, uh, and here we are. They're going into these details in this story in the New York Times. And if you go—let me count. One, two, three, four, five, six paragraphs in, Times writes this. It is common and not improper for transition officials to meet with foreign officials. Uh, Okay, so they're writing a whole piece on how Flynn and uh, Kushner met with the Russian ambassador. You're supposed the the whole the insinuation here, the the subtle allegation. It's not even really that subtle. Is there something amiss? This is wrong. This is bad. They're doing things they shouldn't be doing. And then buried numerous paragraphs down in the piece, it's, well, it's, it's common and not improper for transition officials to meet with foreign officials. Just like it is common and not improper for senators to meet with ambassadors from foreign countries for any number of reasons. Last night I was seeing on the Twitter, oh, the ambassadors are never, this is so strange. Why would why would Jeff Sessions ever meet with an ambassador? And then you hear about how for the Iran deal, you had senators meeting with ambassadors for like thir- from like 30 different countries, including Russia. Of course. You know, they, they act like this is some country that just appears out of nowhere at all. Oh, why are they meeting with a Russian ambassador all of a sudden? Russia is one of the most militarily and geopolitically Important countries in the world still. It has a vast nuclear arsenal. It is a tremendously uh, vast country itself, both in terms of in terms of its size and its weight on geopolitics. It spans many time zones. It borders China, Europe, um, and you know the, the Middle East, the Caucasus region. So. What are they going to do? They're going to not talk to Russia at all. But you see, they run with all these reports. They've known about this, but they didn't just figure this out today. We all can understand that. This information about Sessions, about Flynn, about all about Kushner, they didn't just stumble upon this 24 hours after Trump gives what is effectively a State of the Union address and rocks the House. This isn't an accident. This didn't just happen. They were holding this for maximum effect. Once again... Like we saw with the audio tape on the bus and the whole grab her and all that stuff. They had that. News media had that. From They held it until right before the... We know that they do this. And then they pretend that they're just telling us the facts. Then they pretend that they're not fake news. Well, if you are manipulating the timing of the revelation of information, guess what? You are a partisan, you are a hack, and that is its own form of fake news. That's what's going on here. We should all see it for what it is. And I think all of you do. But 
if enough Americans keep reading these news stories that just are all meant to create this theory based on nothing, they're saying that it's normal to speak to anybody. Now we see Jeff Sessions meeting with the Russians. Not No problem with that. Nothing weird about that. Should he have said, yeah, I, I had two brief talks with Russians, with the Russian ambassador last year, but not as a campaign surrogate and not about the campaign? Yeah, that would have been a better thing to say, sure. But Flynn, with the phone call, let me. when you really drill down into this, Flynn didn't do anything wrong. There's nothing wrong. The Logan Act, this is all, this is all just desperation from the Democrats. But unfortunately, their desperation is starting to pay dividends. But it, it's there's no there there. Flynn did nothing wrong. Sessions did nothing wrong. There's no evidence that Trump betrayed or would betray or has betrayed his country for Russia. Honestly, I don't think Trump has thought that much about Russia until very recently. I think he's got a lot of other things on his mind. Uh, so here we are. We see them. That We see this narrative. We see the media laid bare. And it's going to affect our judgment. It should affect our judgment on everything else they say about this administration because they're pursuing an agenda. This is not just the normal course of reporting. There is a conspiracy here. There is definitely a conspiracy at work. But it's not about Trump advisors and affiliates and surrogates in back rooms meeting with the Russians. The conspiracy is between the Democrat Party and the media to take down the Trump administration. That is the conspiracy, my friends. Turning ourselves to something else here. The things that matter most in your day-to-day life are too important to trust to just anyone. That's, that's That's why he's here. Buck Sexton with America Now. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. Team Buck, welcome back. I know the lines, it's like a Freedom Hut telethon in here. We got all the lines lit up. Uh, We'll make some space. We'll take your calls in a bit. I know a lot of you want to weigh in on the Sessions recusal. We will will hit that topic. Uh, We will get to that topic again if you want to talk about that. But we'd have a guest now on something else that matters a lot to all of us that's not breaking news from this afternoon like Sessions recusal, but... It will have much longer-term impact on all of us. We're joined by Ovik Roy. He is Forbes opinion editor. He's author of Transcending Obamacare and How Medicaid Fails the Poor. He is one of the smartest guys I know on the issue of health care. Ovik, thanks for calling in. Hey, buddy. Good to be with you. Uh, great to have you, man. So let's, let's start with uh, what did we get from the address specifically on health care that we did not know before? And by the way, I should say congratulations on the new show. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, what do we know? Uh, the plan that's been put out uh, that uh, that was leaked last week, it, a lot of it's pretty similar to what Paul Ryan has published in his A Better Way series of plans. But there's one key difference, uh, which is that this this bill that leaked wasn't just an Obamacare replacement. It was also a really bold attempt to finally reform the Medicaid program, the first real attempt at real entitlement reform, basically in the history of entitlement in the United States. How so? Medicaid reform so how? The, yeah, so, the, so Medicaid's been around since 1965. That's when LBJ passed the Great Society legislation. And Medicaid, just because sometimes this confuses people, Medicaid is the, the federal and state-run program. Right, that's a welcare uh, program. For lower-income people. 
uh, not Medicare. Medicare right. is the, uh, the program for the elderly. Medicaid is the program for the, the poor and the disabled. Uh, so what the, uh, the bill would do is it would do a kind of a, a, a modernized version of a block grant. Instead of giving the states just a, a block grant that would just grow at a set inflation rate you know, for, forever, which is what a block grant would do, what this plan would do is it would basically do a block grant to individuals. So let's say you had 100,000 people in Medicaid in your state. You'd get a per capita block grant effectively as a state to then manage that population. That's a lot more uh, efficient of a system because then the dollars follow the people and not the state, because a lot of states have gained the system to get more money over the years than they're really supposed to get. You are the author of How Medicaid Fails the Poor. I've mentioned before on this show, I think I even spoke about it yesterday, uh, the, what was it, the Oregon study that showed that yeah. uh, that health outcomes? See, I, I, I read this stuff. I do my homework. Uh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That the, that the Oregon uh, study showed that those with access to Medicaid don't have better health outcomes than those who do. You've written about how Medicaid fails the poor. One would think, well, it's free health care. It must be better than not having this free health care. So why does it fail the poor? Yeah, that's, it's incredible. And by the way, if people want to read how Medicaid fails the poor, it takes about, you know, you could read it an hour. It's a pretty short book. I think it's like 48 pages or something like that. So this is not some lengthy treatise on it. Basically, the problem is this. Uh, the way Medicaid was designed at the beginning in 1965 is that it was jointly run by the states and the federal government. So just like having two quarterbacks on your football team, having two quarterbacks of an entitlement program turns out to be a disaster. Because what ends up happening is the federal government tried to offload costs and responsibility on the states. The states tried to offload costs and responsibility on the federal government and spend money they weren't supposed to spend. And next thing you know, the, the spending was out of control. But because of the way the law was designed, there were no ways to cut costs. You couldn't raise premiums on people enrolled in Medicaid. You couldn't raise copays on people enrolled in Medicaid. You couldn't change the kinds of things that were covered under the Medicaid insurance plan. So because you couldn't do any of that, what could you do? You could basically cut the payments you make to doctors and hospitals to care for those patients. Because state governments, unlike the federal government, the federal government can borrow money from China, right? You and I can't borrow money from China, Buck, and neither can state governments. State governments have to balance their budgets every year. So what's happened is, as Medicaid has had these cost overruns over the year, they've only had one way to balance their budgets. And that is to either cut funding for schools and roads and things like that, which they're already doing, and also to cut what they pay doctors and hospitals. And what ended up happening after that is a lot of doctors say, you know what? If you're going to pay me 30 cents on the dollar to care for a Medicaid patient when I can make a dollar on the dollar if they have private insurance, I'm just not going to see Medicaid patients. So then what happens? A lot of those patients on Medicaid, they have this thing that says they have health insurance, but a lot of doctors don't take it. So they have a lot of trouble getting appointments to see doctors for serious medical problems. And so then what happens? Their, Medicaid, their health outcomes are really poor because they can't actually get health care when they need it because nobody takes their insurance. See, I think this is so important for everybody to hear because the Obamacare coverage numbers are, are, are really a, a, a lie. I'm not going to say they're fake news, but the, they talk about how Obamacare, Obamacare has expanded coverage, and they say it that, and, and they, they use those terms, they say it in that way so that people think, oh, more people have health care, like your health care plan you get from your job. But what is it, 14 of the 20 million uh, that they have? It's all Medicaid. 
So this is just expanding a welfare program that, as you point out, is very expensive and not very good at actually keeping people healthy and dealing with them when they're sick. Yeah, I mean, again, to abuse my sports analogies, I'm in a sports mode today. You know, if you had a Major League Baseball player who had 21 home runs, you'd be like, okay, that's pretty cool. He had 20 home runs. But if he struck out 500 times while hitting 20 home runs, you might not think that's so great. Same thing with these coverage numbers. Now, the coverage numbers sound great if you don't actually take into account the quality of access to health care that you're getting for that coverage. And the, uh, the media, when they talk about these numbers, they always conveniently ignore that very important piece of this. Now, what? Now, so that, that's the Medicaid component of this. And you said that will be reformed, perhaps, assuming that Trump and his team go forward with what they've already said they would do at this point. Uh, but w- for the rest of us, w- what is people keep talking about how we're going to make it healthcare freer, more competitive, more choice. All of that is what Donald Trump has been promising. Republicans have been looking at this issue now for years, uh, and yet we can we can count on what to happen here. What is the plan as they've told uh, as it's been leaked, I believe, right? The leaked draft, the GOP plan. What is it going to do to Obamacare? Well, first of all, the leaked draft is, is uh, several weeks old now, so it's quite likely that there have been significant changes to the plan since that draft came out. So we can't say for certain what the current draft holds. Well, what but you, what do you think is in there? What's the yeah. latest? Yeah. What we can say it's going to do is they're, gonna, they're taking a stab at repealing some of the key regulations in Obamacare that have driven up the premiums. That's arguably the most important thing they can do. It's much more important than the taxing and the spending when it comes to Obamacare to try to roll back the regulations in Obamacare, because those regulations are the key things that are making health insurance so much more expensive for millions of people. So they're trying to do uh, a lot more of that than was in the original bill a year ago that they passed uh, via reconciliation. That's, that's big point number one. Big point number two is they're, they're going to have a different system of tax credits uh, to uh, help the people who are uninsured get coverage. So this is a thing that's been somewhat controversial. You've heard uh, Rand Paul and Ted Cruz and some others say that they don't like the fact that uh, the Paul Ryan plan uses tax credits uh, to help the uninsured buy coverage, whereas people like Paul Ryan, Donald Trump have said, you know, actually tax credits are good, and Tom Coburn, lots of other conservatives are on the other side of that argument, myself included. So what's the, what's the key thing with the tax credits? It's basically to correct this inequity in the tax code that we have today, where basically, thanks to Medicare, and thanks to the tax break we give people who get insurance with their employers, people on the upper end of the income scale get massive subsidies uh, of their health insurance. In fact, that's why health insurance is so expensive in America. And as a result, a lot of people are being priced out of the market at the low end of the income scale. So the idea is to balance that out by equalizing the tax treatment uh, for lower-income people and upper-income people when they buy health insurance. For people who are listening right now and who have who are not part of the uh, individual market, which is what has been mainly affected so far by Obamacare. For those who are listening who have health care either through a family member or through an employer and not part of the individual market, is the Republican plan going to do anything that will make things better for them when it comes to their health care? I mean, will this drive down premiums for people that aren't in the individual market? Will it make doctors more accessible to people who aren't in the individual market? Or are we really just still talking about those people who are in the individual market, and this won't affect everybody else that much? Well, I'd say there's a couple of things. First, if you actually reform the individual market for people to buy health insurance on their own, if you really make that a robust, 
real free market for health care. You know what you're going to see? You're going to see a lot of people say, you know what, I don't want my employer-based health insurance. I'd rather, I'm going to get a better deal if I go shop on my own. So people who right now have employer-based coverage but may not be thrilled by how their deductibles are going up or how much premiums are being taken out of their paycheck, they're going to have another option. So that's going to be really great for them. That's number one. Number two, the plan dramatically increases your ability to save money in health savings accounts. So if you have a health savings account through your employer or you have the option of setting one up, that's going to be a much more valuable vehicle for you to save tax-free for your own health care needs and have a high-deductible plan that goes with that. And then the third thing, to the point, you, you know, the original point of your question, if you actually do those things, if you have more of a robust free market to buy health insurance, what that does to cascade through the system is it turbocharges our ability as a country and as entrepreneurs to develop innovative new ways to serve those patients with lower cost, higher quality health care system. The basic problem is this right now. If you get a health insurance through your employer, you get it through the government, you haven't chosen your insurance plan. Someone else has chosen it for you. And at the end of the day, you'll never have a real market unless you're choosing the kind of health insurance you want. And by the way, you'll never have a consumer-driven, patient-centered health care system unless you, the patient, you, the consumer, are controlling the health care dollars. So the whole idea with this Republican plan is to put more people in charge of their own health care dollars and for those who are currently in the employer-based system or on Medicare to give them more options to control their own health care dollars. So hopefully this will also put a stop to what I'm sure many of us see with our health care plans where you know, you think you're in network and then you get the bill and it's not uh, reasonable and customary, they say, and it's only some of it. Co- there's all these all this stuff. You, you feel like you're a healthcare lawyer when all you want to do is know, well, what do I owe and who can I go see and what am I going to have to pay? You have no choice right now. As you say, if you get it through your, your employer, that's what you're stuck with. And you end up just having to pay the bill or maybe you have to face a collections agency. If we had other choices, you could say, well, this insurance company is annoying and they're playing games and they're a joke. I want to go to somebody else. So if the individual market gets better for every if the individual market becomes good, then everybody might want to play in that individual market, more or less, or at least have the option about free market health care. This is the key that we've got to make the market for people who buy health insurance on their own and health care on their own through health savings accounts much more robust than it is today. And the Republican efforts to use tax credits are central to that goal. If you don't use tax credits, you can't get there. And that's my message for Rand Paul and Ted Cruz and some of the others who have been uh, you know, worried about this. That's the only way to get to for true free market health care reform. Ovik Roy is Forbes opinion editor, author of Transcending Obamacare and How Medicaid Fails the Poor. O- uh, Ovik, always uh, illuminating, my friend. Thank you so much for calling in. Hey, look forward to seeing how your new show goes. Thank you, sir. Come back soon. Uh, Team, I got tons of lines lit up. We're going to start knocking down calls, hearing from all of you right after this break. Stay where you are. All right, Team Buck, many of you have been patiently waiting on the lines. I want to get to your calls now. And if you want to call in as you hear us talking to folks, there'll be spots opening up. 844-900-2825. We have Dexter in Texas. Dexter, you are on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome. Hey, Buck. Only my mother calls me Dexter. Call me Dex. Dex. Uh, Dex in Tex. I like it. <laughs> uh, the, I, I don't know if your uh, public knows this, but uh, the, there's in the Senate chamber, there's a gallery 
and a portion of that gallery is reserved strictly for diplomats, about 100 seats there. And it, it, it is inconceivable to me and, and, and so duplicitous on the part of the uh, disloyal opposition, if you will, uh, to say that, oh, well, no one should be having any kind of uh, uh, connection with uh, foreign governments as if, as if this is strange and new to the whole system in Washington. And I, am, I just I find that infuriating at the, at the level of, of duplicity that they, are, that they are trying to pull. And, of course, they've got the help from the media uh, doing that. But I do think Jeff Session being recu- recused from uh, the investigation is perfectly legitimate as long as he runs a tight ship there at uh, DOJ. I don't think there's going to be a problem with that. I, I have no problem with it because it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean anything – to us, it doesn't mean anything to Republicans. It shouldn't mean anything to the American people because he wasn't going to shut down any investigations anyway. Jeff Sessions is a very uh, respectable, very honorable guy. And But the point is that while it's a minor step for him to step aside, one, as we know from Loretta Lynch and Eric Holder, Democrats don't step aside. So it's just the hypocrisy, I think, is worth pointing out. And they're not going to stop with the recusal. I promise you. Now it's going to be he needs to resign. We've already heard some uh, some Democrats saying that he should resign. Well, uh, it, they, he should hold his ground and, and just, you know, say, no, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. But uh, Dex, thanks for calling him, man. Shields high. Uh, let's get... Greg in Oklahoma listening on iHeartRadio. What's up, Greg? Hey, Buck Shieldtai. Shieldtai. I just want to talk about, uh, you, you tweeted out last night, um, you know, a funny thing about the classified leaks is that uh, we're only getting what the conclusions are. We're not actually getting uh, the actual intel yeah. leaks. <laughs> I find this funny in a, a number of ways in that I, I – was an army sniper and so i dealt with a lot of classified information and how that came down and and how that's dealt with there's a lot of interesting things in that people can come to their own conclusions um and if you're giving just the conclusions to the public they're obviously going to think um the intel is correct in in that assumption um i right, well, greg so all- what you're saying just so i'm clear and i mean to interrupt it and, and hold your thought for one second that they say it's based on classified sources. So we're all supposed to go, oh, well, then it must be true. Meanwhile, you and I know classified is, mo- is I shouldn't say mostly, well, on the human side, classified is largely crap, right? On the human side, there is so much false information out there, disinformation. There are fabricators, people making stuff up all over the place. So the notion of something being classified just has to do with how the information is acquired, not, oh, it's because it's classified, it must be true. But what they do is they say, well, it's based on classified sources, and this is what it tells you, not this is what it says, because then we could actually know, well, is that conclusion valid or not? No, the fact that it comes from classified sources is supposed to indicate to you that the conclusion that they spoon feed the public is the only one. Exactly. And what triggered this uh, thought in my mind is when I was in Iraq, we would get the raw intel, you know, from uh, the Defense uh, Intelligence Agency and things like that um, around Sadr City in 2007-2008. And we would have to act upon that intel, um, you know, for HVT targets and things like that. We'd come back with a mission, say, hey, this is what we're thinking about doing. Whenever we ran up against um, Mukhtar Sadr's henchmen there was a lot of pushback and there was a narrative that was being pushed and i see similar things with this where all the intel all the the leaks that come out they all point to a single direction 
Um, and like you said, as we both know in the Intel community, unless you're actually seeing the raw data, um, then we don't actually know what they're actually right. saying. We're just getting to a point where, like today, CNN comes out, oh, yeah, all those 10 sources that they said there was no Intel at all. Oh, I'm about to get there, Greg. Oh, yeah, no, finish your thought. I'm exactly. sorry. So, no, no, no. I, I just, it was a great tweet that you put out last night that just kind of reaffirmed what I had been thinking for a while that all these leaks are just their sole purpose is to force the public into a conclusion without actually giving them any real time data. That's or right. Data and, at all, period. And, uh, Greg, uh, first of all, thank you for your service, man. It's, it's great to, were you, were you there when the wall was going up around Sodder City? That was a wild time. Oh, yeah, that was my, uh, my unit, our, um, mechanics and them they were the ones putting him up so we had to do a lot of overwatch and things like that into the city which as you know during that time oh yeah completely insane i remember i and i remember some of your guys uh <laughs> you did very good work greg great to hear from you man shields high thank you um Thanks, yeah man great to talk to you I, i've been in the room and where people are, are waving classified documents at each other angrily coming to very different conclusions so Greg's point here is essential. You keep hearing these or reading these stories about, oh, well, there's classified leaks from the intel community that tell us, you know, X. Uh, a lot of the time, there is a whole bunch of steps taken in the analytic process. And you won't necessarily come to that conclusion, but they won't show you the raw data, will they? We got more comments. Stay with me. Buck Sexton with America Now, where there's always something to talk about, where you can trade opinions with Buck. I'm not sure you'll win, though. Just call 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. All right, Buck, you're on. NBC News, February 28th, 2017. Yemen SEAL raid has yielded no significant intelligence. NPR.org. The valuable intel from the Yemen raid, it was 10 years old. That was February 3rd, 2017. And I could go on. These are all news reports run saying that the raid produced no significant intelligence. That's what we were told. A a raid in which we lost uh, Chief Owens and had many more wounded. Uh, we are now, we've been told for weeks, uh, NBC News leading the charge on this one, of course, that it was a waste, that it was nothing. Now, I, I have an advantage as somebody who now hosts a radio show, and I haven't been able to research this thoroughly, but I think it's true. I'm the only person in national radio syndication who is a former CIA officer, and worked in the counterterrorism center. It's not like I was former CIA and uh, you know working on European diplomatic relations or something. I don't know, whatever. Um, you know, counting counting the 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 grain harvest as it comes in from Southeast Asia. No, uh, working the counterterrorism center on issues of jihadism and obviously tied into CTC and aware of all of this stuff the agency was doing on the. Uh, Mideast counterterror, well, I shouldn't say all of it, but I was read into whatever programs I needed to be read into on the counterterrorism front. Also, I served in Iraq and Afghanistan, as many of you know, as our last caller certainly knows, we're reminiscing there for a little bit. So when we talk about counterterrorism raids against al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, I've been in the room when they've discussed how these raids will go down. I've been in country watching as these raids have happened and have a detailed 
professional and personal familiarity with how this all happens. From the intelligence officer side, never been a door kicker. Wish that I could have been, but uh, certainly know it from the CT civilian side of things. And so that's why I read these stories and I think to myself, this is just pathetic. This is so clearly part of an effort to make the, the new commander-in-chief, Donald Trump, seem reckless, craven, indifferent, dumb, poor judgment. Just take your pick. That we lost a seal. This is the message that NBC, NPR, and many others were putting out there. We lost a seal and had others wounded and also civilians killed in the crossfire. And we should always make note of that for nothing, for nothing. That's what they were saying for absolutely nothing. And this went on for weeks. Now, as I said to you yesterday, I want to know who in the intelligence or military chain of command thinks that it's their business to leak to media outlets what the payoff of a mission like this, a very sensitive, high-risk counterterrorism mission, who takes it upon themselves to go and, and blab to the media one way or the other? It's completely unacceptable. And as I said, it's a betrayal of the oath. I mean, I would have never, I was a CIA officer for five years. I would have never even considered doing something like that. Just a, you have a job when you're in Langley, or you. I'm not saying look, it maybe wasn't coming from within the CIA. It could have come from the Pentagon. Could have come from any number of places. But we were we were all doing our work. You know, maybe one of the secrets that the public should know about all this is we didn't. It didn't really matter that much who the president was. We had a job to do every day. I had a job to do, and whomever is going and speaking to NBC or others in the press, they had a job to do as well, and they chose to put that aside because they hate Donald Trump so much. And so all these stories get around. Now, here's why this is particularly interesting to me. Those were the stories for weeks, this Yemen raid. And just think of what this was, the narrative this was building. Oh, Trump, he's such a fool. He's such a cowboy. He's um, so thoughtless that he would risk, risk members of SEAL Team 6 for some stupid raid that had no meaning, no intelligence value. This is the only reason this gets out is because it's political and it hurts the administration. And I should also note that if they believed, if they had reason to believe that the leader of Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula was at this place at this time, and, th and they, had, they were acting on that information in good faith, that's the kind of mission that you, are, that you undertake, even if it means that you are going to risk your own. If you're not willing to take those risks, you're not going to get very far against an enemy like Al-Qaeda. You have to go, you have to go in hard, and you have to execute the mission. And certainly our SEALs know that, but the commander-in-chief has to be the one giving the order, or somebody very high up in the Pentagon, the Secretary of Defense. But what's interesting here is that the story's changed. Oh, what a surprise. This is CNN reporting today. U.S. tries to ID hundreds of al-Qaeda contacts thanks to Yemen raid. So you have several officials telling CNN, I'm going to assume, by the way, that these officials are not, you know, Sean Spicer, Steve Bannon, and I'm assuming they're from within them, because CNN wouldn't take their word for it, I would guess. 
And if it was Bannon or Spicer, they would name him. So you have officials speaking to CNN saying that the U.S. is now taking action to locate and monitor hundreds of people or contacts found as part of the intelligence retrieved during the deadly raid last month in Yemen. Some of these people are believed to be in the West. If Now, also, I have to say, this shouldn't be leaked to the press either, but I can understand why people would feel like, given that the story was there was no good intelligence, the, the, the professional thing to do here, what, what an intel professional does when they have access to information is shut their mouths. You don't talk to the press about this. That's not how th- that's not how this goes. But when you have one side saying that we lost a seal for no reason, that the commander in chief is reckless, and this was a stupid raid, that has real consequences. It means that the American people lose faith in the commander in chief and his ability to make decisions about embarking on this kind of a counterterrorism action. And so it can't be ignored. But here we have these reports, and I and I'm trying to be consistent here. I don't think that these reports should be out there either, although they're clearly in response to what was already said weeks ago. But now let's judge this raid by what we know today. If it is in fact the case that there are hundreds of Al-Qaeda contacts that have been discovered as a result of that raid, the commander-in-chief would be uh, understandably willing to take a similar risk. This could, I'm just going on what the facts are that are reported here, this could mean that a mass casualty attack is averted. This could mean that a cell is rolled up in Europe, who knows where. And we've all seen the footage and the aftermath of Nice, Paris. Um, you, You see what happens in the airport in Turkey. I mean, that is the kind of plot that Al Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula although those were ISIS-inspired generally, but that's the kind of plot that al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula is trying to pull off. And if they have contacts in the West, we need to find out who they are, and we need to lock them up and stop them. So you have to look, you have to look at the new information that's provided here and say, why were we told for weeks that there was no intelligence value whatsoever from this raid, that it was, no, that it was meaningless? That's what they were saying. This was a meaningless raid. And we lost, we lost a seal. The people that were running this story and the people that were telling the story to those news outlets, they were saying we lost a seal for no reason because Donald Trump is an idiot. That's what they were trying to say. That was the motivation behind that story. And now we're told that it's not true. And in fact, it was a raid that very well could have saved many lives. And these are the difficult calculations a commander-in-chief makes. Are you willing to lose some of your own, some of your best, in order to stop a terrorist plot that could kill 50, 100 people. I'm not saying it's an easy or an obvious decision, but these are the kinds of decisions that a commander-in-chief has to make. And when you bring in real intelligence professionals and when you bring in the elite operators of the United States military, uh, they understand the risks. And they understand what it is that they're trying to accomplish because they know the enemy. They're not... Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and these left-wing journalists on TV that talk about, oh, you know, let's not say that the Islamic State is Islamic and let's pretend that we're now theologians of Islam and understand jihadism and the real threat is Islamophobia and they do all this preening and nonsense. No. Operators, intel professionals, real ones, unfortunately there are a lot of hacks and phonies, they understand who the enemy is and they know the enemy is 
relentless, remorseless, and has to be defeated. And if we're going to do that, we're going to have to take risks, and we're going to lose our own people. This is part of that process. It's unfortunate, but it is reality. But I can't allow these press reports out there to go unanswered where they want to suggest that a raid has no value whatsoever, that it was just uh, President Trump showing off that he could order this this kind of thing, even though it was being planned for months under the Obama administration. This just goes to show you how much hatred they have, NBCs and other have for this administration, that they would uh, demean a raid where a SEAL lost his life and others were wounded to score cheap politi- short-term cheap political points, only to be proven wrong and to be proven liars later. Don't forget, team, this is what, this is what we are up against right now. Not only do we have to worry about the enemies abroad with al-Qaeda, but we have enemies aligned against truth in this country. And they think that the ends justify the means, and if they have to run fake news, if they have to run stories that are not true in order to convince the American people that al-Qaeda or jihadism is not a real threat, that, that the real threat is, in fact, Donald Trump. That's what they want you to think. Whatever they have to do to accomplish that, they are willing to do. They will malign the memories and the sacrifice of our heroes in order to achieve that. It's despicable. It is truly despicable. Keep an eye on it. Don't let them get away with it. Pay attention to who's doing it. Going to a break. We're right back. We got some callers up. Let's take them. John in North Carolina. More love from WPTI. What's up, John? Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, I'm sure you've been working around computers uh, all the all the time that you were uh, uh, serving with the CIA and and my time in the service and also in the, in the private side. Uh, you know, everything is on computers. I was uh, kind of curious, clear uh, back in, I believe it was right after, shortly after the election, uh, late November, early December, the president said, you know what, I'm going to do something completely new and unique and different. He said, I'm going to provide a completely digital turnover to the new incoming administration. And red flag went up in my mind right away saying, you know what, I know that whenever you have groups of computers on the, uh, on the same network, everything goes to a, a server. A copy of all your emails, a copy of all your text messages goes to the server, and you can have local servers, but you can also set things up where you can have copies go to a remote server. And I immediately thought, you know, how convenient it would be if you wanted to stay in town and run an underground government and under underground uh, war room and create crisis if you had a copy of everything that was going on inside the White House. Just kind of wondering about that. Uh, I, I'm not. I got to be honest with you, John. I'm, I'm not familiar with this story. So you're saying that Obama? They decided to do an entirely digital handover to the next next administration. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's that's what he that's what he had said. He was going to ha- have a completely digital turnover to the uh, to the new administration. And well, I mean, that obviously leaves the door wide open for all kinds of uh, machinations behind the scenes because. A digital, you know, a digital trail is really easy to. If you have control of the servers and the devices, a digital trail is very easy to manipulate. That's right. Yeah, I know. Uh, look, and I, as we discussed before earlier on in the show tonight, clearly the Obama administration was concerned with what was left behind 
for the next administration. They were trying to leave behind information that would be damaging to Trump. I'm sure they also wanted to make sure they didn't leave behind any information that would be damaging to Obama and the Democrats, because they must realize that some of the some of the skeletons in the Democrats closet from the last eight years would be very interesting if uh, if shown to to full public view. I mean, I think that, for example, people still wonder about the internal discussions the night of Benghazi. You know, if the president and the secretary of state were talking about how they were going to spin this the next day and that was their first priority. I'm just just putting this out there as an idea. People would want to know that, I think. And that's the kind of information I think would be very easy to uh, digitally erase. Again, if you're in charge of the servers and all the and all the rest of it, if you're using a third party server, then things get a lot a lot trickier. But, John, thank you for calling in from uh, North Carolina. Barbie also in North Carolina. WPTI loving it tonight. What's up, Barbie? Hey. Hey. Hi. I um I am just sick and tired of all the obstructionism going on with President Trump and his people. I don't have strong opinions about Russia and about all the other things, but I'm just tired of all the mess. So I thought to myself, what can I do about it? Not too much. I'm just a little me. <laughs> But I did come up with one idea, and I wanted to share that with hopefully your millions of viewers. Listeners, yes, (laughs) ma'am. Yes, listeners. Yes, thank you. My idea is to send President Trump a letter that just says, be strong, keep going. I voted for you, and I like what you're doing. Some word of encouragement. It doesn't matter what it is. Just encourage the president. But to send it in a red envelope. And if thousands of red envelopes started showing up at the White House or millions of red envelopes showed up at the White House, that would become a message to the country that there are a lot of us who really want the president to succeed. And we don't care what the Democrats are saying, but we don't want to march in the streets and we don't want to yell profanity. We just want to encourage the president. Well, Barbie, I got to say, it's a a very nice idea, and I I think the president— uh, I think I think President Trump in particular would appreciate it, but I think he also recognizes that the votes cast for him in the election were, in a sense, those red envelopes that you're thinking about sending him already. He's aware of the mandate that he has from the uh, from the American people to pursue the agenda but, that he was laying out for the entirety of his campaign. And you know, and I I think the president is strong enough to stay with that, but I don't think that. Other people are strong enough to stay with it. I think some people that voted for him keep hearing all the bad press, and they might be saying, I'm not so sure. But if there was suddenly some press that was a little more positive, like, look at these thousands of people that— Yeah, say, well, I can tell you this, I can tell you this, Barbie, I, that the, the media wouldn't cover the, the, uh, the, red, the red envelopes that get sent in. That, that would not be a front-page news story for NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, go down the line. But Barbie Shields High, thank you very much for calling in. I appreciate it. I know you were on hold for a while, too. It was very kind of you to uh, be patient with us. All right. Uh, Wow, I can't even believe we're here coming up on the third hour of the show tonight. Um, If you have not already, please go on the iHeartRadio app and or iTunes. If you're in iTunes in the search bar, type in Buck Sexton and then click on Buck Sexton with America Now and subscribe, please. Best way to uh, make sure that you're in contact with with everything we're doing here in the Freedom Hut. And you hear the show whenever you want, as often as you want, on your own schedule. So it's free. It's on iTunes, Buck Sexton with America Now. Check it out. And we've got uh, a lot to talk about in the next hour. So 
you want to light those lines, go ahead. Otherwise, I'll be talking to you. Stay with me. The things that matter most in your day-to-day life are too important to trust to just anyone. That's, that's, why. that's why he's here. Buck Sexton with America Now. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. A lot of news reports recently about anti-Semitic threats, bomb threats into Jewish centers, uh, Jewish grave sites being desecrated. And then immediately there are media questions posed to the Trump administration about denunciations of this hate. How quickly did they come? How earnest did they seem from Trump himself? This became political very quickly. What is the truth of all this? What is really going on here? Joined by my friend David Efoun. He's the editor-in-chief of the Algaminer. Go to algaminer.com for their latest. David, great to have you. Always a pleasure, Buck. All right, so we have uh, the FBI probing bomb threats against Jewish community centers. We've got uh, anti-Semitic destruction of gravestones and uh, threats coming over a uh, hundred bomb threats at Jewish centers across the country. What do we know about this? What is what's actually happening here? Well, there's a few things. The first thing I would say is this: what's happening with the with the, the Jewish community centers? I would say is is new. It's it's very widespread. It's uh, consistent and it, and it keeps coming and coming. The thing about it is. It could be orchestrated by one person. We don't really know how big and how or how widespread it is. It actually is. In terms of some of the other incidents we've seen, desecration at Jewish cemeteries, I mean, this is stuff that we've been covering for years and years and years on end. It's unfortunate. It's extremely unfortunate. But this is not, I would say, an outside of the ordinary. It's not an anomaly. It's... Uh, something that happens with quite regular occurrence. And by the way, not just Jewish cemeteries, lots of other cemeteries. So I think the first thing that we have to say at this point is that it's not yet clear that there is an actual rise in anti-Semitic incidents. To have a clear picture of that, you've got to really wait till the numbers come out, the FBI numbers, the uh, Jewish groups, the Anti-Defamation League numbers, until we can get some real statistics together. Having said that, it is quite clear that there's a major uptick in mainstream media reporting on these incidents. That's my next question for you, David. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, well, look, it's welcome. I've got to tell you, it's welcome. It's great that they're paying attention to this, but it does leave us very suspicious as to why all of a sudden the attention, the spotlight is on. You were quite aware of the previous history of anti-Semitic incidents in this country, as you were just stating, and so uh, that's why one of the reasons I want to bring you on is because you can make a very astute and, and reasoned analysis of what's behind this surge. And as you point out, the reporting on this, because there's definitely more reporting on this. We're seeing uh, major news outlets covering this. And uh, one can begin to surmise, I think, that just as with Republican presidential uh, administration with Republican administrations, all of a sudden one starts to see just think pieces about the rise in homelessness across the country or think pieces and the rise in domestic violence or anything that creates a perception of uh, things are going poorly in America. 
even if there's really been no, you know, all of a sudden it, it, there's a new administration and we're being told about this, the previous administration, there hasn't been much of a change. Now, you're saying this may be true with the anti-Semitic attacks as well. It looks like, to me, from what I can see, it is true. And then you add to this another layer, which is the press immediately jumping on the administration saying, well, you haven't spoken out about this quickly enough. And other Democrats, prominent Democrats, who are just straight up saying they think Trump is an anti-Semite. Well, well, look, this is, this is you know, it's, it's a very delicate thing to deal with, you know, because on the one hand, what's happening now, the attention that, that anti-Semitism is getting and other hate crimes is getting should have been a given. And, and it's, it's welcome. It's hugely welcome. So you don't for a second want to undermine that. You don't want to undermine the incidents that are happening. I mean, if there was one gravestone, if there's one bereaved family, if there's one child that has to leave their school in the middle of the day due to a bomb threat and living in fear, it's terrible and it's tragic, and it absolutely deserves the media spotlight that it's been getting. What is wrong? What is wrong is the insinuation. It's the subtext. It's the finger-pointing, because... You know, it's, 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 first of all, it's counterproductive and it's just factually inaccurate. What we should be doing is speaking to the administration as a, in collaborative terms and saying, look, here's something. Yes, uh, it's, it's a major challenge. We'd like to work with you. We'd like to encourage you. We'd like to, we'd like to share with you our resources to help address this issue, which is not the tone that's been taken on. I'll tell you something interesting. You know, one of our columnists actually went through the history of vandalism at Jewish cemeteries over the past 10 years and looked at New York Times coverage. And there are, I don't know, 10 or 12, however many incidents there were that took place that literally had zero coverage in the New York Times. And the latest incident, the New York Times sent a photographer down there. They had front-page articles. They assigned numerous reporters. They had follow-up think pieces, as you say, and op-eds, it's, it's highly suspicious. It's highly suspicious that suddenly there's this elevated coverage. And it comes together with these comments from all kinds of uh, various self-proclaimed leaders in the community saying, well, we think it's a result of the climate that Trump's created. I think Trump is a great friend of the Jewish people, certainly a tremendous friend of Israel. And uh, we should work with him. We should put our resources together with him. We should encourage him, help him do more. The finger pointing is completely out of line. Where does this narrative that Trump is an anti-Semite, where does it even come from, David? I just want to know. I mean, wh- wh- how do they come up with this? Is it? It's because of what? There have been some uh, some Twitter trolls who share anti-Semitic information. And uh, by the way, I've seen an analysis of this. Most of the really virulent anti-Semitic stuff on Twitter that was supposedly tied to Trump, and keep in mind, there's no easier way to run a false flag than a sock puppet, you know, a fake Twitter account of somebody pretending to be a supporter of a politician who's putting out anti-Semitic or racist or any sort of, of, of vile nonsense. They've done an analysis of this to show that's a very small group of people using Twitter specifically uh, that were responsible for a huge portion of these kinds of tweets. I thought a lot of those were suspicious. But other than that, is there is there any evidence? I mean, and I'll concede that, OK, they can point to that and try to make a case that somehow that is is re- it's not representative, but that that's a thing that they can mention, at least beyond that. I'm familiar with nothing. I mean, Netanyahu looked like he was hanging out with one of his oldest, best buddies when he met with Trump. And that was not the vibe you got when he was sitting down with Barack Obama. It just wasn't. 
Well, you know, that's absolutely the case. I mean, mostly, mostly the, for the most part, there's two, there's two parts to the accusation. The first is guilt by association, where there are Trump supporters who are anti-Semitic, however many there are, I don't know, but obviously one is too many. And they're trying to use that as kind of a, a guilt by association methodology. Now, of course, you can apply the same thing to any politician. There are anti-Semites uh, who supported Obama. There are anti-Semites who supported Hillary Clinton. I mean, that kind of guilt by association is just wrong, and it's, it's unfair, and it's inaccurate. The second accusation is the claims that he's not doing enough, okay, that he should speak out, he should do more, he should distance himself, etc. So, first of all, I think that's true of all politicians. There's no question that Obama did not do enough. Uh, when it came to Israel, when it came to Jewish concerns. Um, and, you know, you always want to do more. There's, when it comes to commenting hate and when it comes to, to, to bigotry, there really is no limit there's, 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 to what must be done. And uh, it's necessary always to think about what are the next steps that can be taken. However, the tone is completely different. If you're accusing somebody of being anti-Semitic, it's completely different to, to, to accusing somebody of not doing enough to combat anti-Semitism. If you'd like to see them do more to combat anti-Semitism, you've got to encourage them. It's got to be constructive. You can't be pointing a finger. It's not an accusatory uh, discussion. And by the way, the uh, have, have you heard, and, and from your contacts and sources, have you heard anything about uh, Jared Kushner, who is a, is a pr- I believe, practicing uh, Orthodox Jew, correct? He is uh, he's Orthodox. Besides for his, you know, people talk about uh, Jared quite a bit. Donald Trump has Jewish grandchildren. His daughter, Ivanka, is an Orthodox Jew. A lot of people don't know that, that his other two kids are also married to Jews. They're just not that Orthodox. And his daughter, Tiffany, last I had, was dating a Jewish guy. And not to mention, I mean, the administration is chock full of, Jew, of, of Jewish people. Now, having said that, it doesn't mean, you know, there's a buddy of mine who wrote a book about anti-Semitism called Some of My Best Friends. You know, Roger Waters always says that when he's accused of anti-Semitism. Well, I can't be an anti-Semite. I've got all these friends and friends. You know, it's, somebody can still be an anti-Semite, even if they've got lots of Jews surrounding them, and, and they can still say anti-Semitic things without actually being anti-Semitic. So while it gives us a sense of, of, of where his heart is uh, and, and, and who's surrounding him, it's important. But the truth is, if you look back at Trump's history, I mean, the guy lived in New York. It's, going, it's probably the issue that he was most consistent about over the last Four decades is, is his support for Israel and for the Jewish people, going back to when he opened Mar-a-Lago and said, you know, Jews are welcome here at a time when that wasn't necessarily the case at other clubs. So uh, I think, uh, you know, beyond who's in his family, you have a history of a guy over here who I think has a great record with the Jewish community and with the Jewish people. Now he's in a position of power. It's new. He's only a couple of weeks. So we've got to help him. We've got to encourage him. We've got to show him how we can do more. We can pool the community's resources together with the government's resources and put a stop to this. What I wanted to ask, uh, and and, uh, I'm glad that you addressed the issue of his family as well, because that has come up in these discussions where people are saying that Trump is anti-Semitic, and and then they try to claim, well, that has nothing to do with anything. And as you say, well, there are nuances here. Sure, just because you have uh, there are Jewish people around you doesn't mean you can't say something anti-Semitic, but it, it is an indicator, I think, I mean, to, to suggest that Trump is is hateful towards Jews when, as you point out, so many of his own family members are are Jewish would seem to be uh, uh, quite a stretch. But I, I want to ask about uh, Kushner and the peace process, because there have been some discussions already that that would be part of his portfolio as a senior advisor 
to the White House. Uh, do you think that that's do you think that he might be able to bring some new ideas to the table? I mean, how is that being received both by the American Jewish community and, and in Israel? Well, look, let me say this. Uh, first of all, there's, I have no, no doubt that he's going to bring new ideas to the table. You know, he's, a, he's a, certainly a fresh pair of eyes, a fresh pair of hands. But I think it also highlights something else that's, that's, that's really, really important. And that is that when people are looking at Trump, they're, they're trying to, and certainly his critics, are trying to uh, draw a distinction between Israel and Jews, uh, what's anti-Semitic and what's anti-Israel. Now, according to the United States State Department, these things are quite closely intertwined. Israel is a nation state of the Jewish people. There is a whole list of instances where bias against the Jewish state of Israel is considered anti-Semitic according to the U.S. State Department, including a double standard towards holding a double standard towards Israel, including demonizing and delegitimizing Israel, etc. Now, if you and we had this discussion, by the way, with regard to Obama, I remember uh, on, when you were filling in for, for Rush Limbaugh with regard to Obama's approach at the UN, that uh, resolution that right. he didn't meet a, a couple of months back. So on this score, on this score, uh, what he's had his UN Secretary Nikki Haley, UN Ambassador Nikki Haley, come out and say with regard to the way that the UN behaved, which according to the State Department will be cons- would be considered anti-Semitic, in that sense, the president has done so much for the Jewish community, so much to fight anti-Semitism and what many people are calling the modern anti-Semitism of the delegitimization of Israel. So if, you look at the, if you're looking at the president's record with the Jewish community, you cannot separate these two components. And the president has taken initiative. He's been right at the front lines of this. And he's, doing, he's, he's uh, headed in a direction where he can really roll back some of some of the real growth of anti-Semitism as it translates into bias against Israel. David Afoon is the editor-in-chief of the Algeminer. David, great to have you. Come back soon. Always a pleasure, bud. Team, we're going to hit a break. We'll be right back. I do wish that this wouldn't happen. We're returning to our subject matter from the, the breaking news from earlier in the show of the recusal of Jeff Sessions. Uh, which he stepped back, and he's the one that's decided that he's going to be recused. So it's it's up to him. It's a discretion of the individual uh, circumstance here. But you had a spicy, spicy, come on. He he said right before, a little bit before that, that there's no reason for a recusal. Play clip 54. I think a few moments ago saying that he should clarify his testimony and he should recuse himself. Well, I, I think he should have no, he look, he would have right, I, I, and I, I think, but there's nothing, I mean, he's been 100% straight. The testimony and the question he was asked is whether or not he was aware of Trump campaign officials doing something in their capacity as campaign officials and information had gotten passed. That answer is consistently no. He was aware of it. He was. He made a statement that was 100% accurate, and he stands by that. So you don't think he should recuse himself? Oh, look, there's nothing to recuse himself. He was 100% straight with the committee, <laughs> and I think that people who are choosing to play uh, partisan politics with this should be ashamed of themselves. And then he recused himself. So we're just we're keeping it real here in the hut. I got to tell you, I, I wish they wouldn't do things like that. Um, if, you know, you you either you know go or don't go. Do, do, do or do not. There is no try. Isn't that what Yoda says? Do or do not. I can't do a Yoda voice. That's going to get really weird. Do or do not. 
<laughs> I shouldn't even try. I did never. Here's a tip for those of you who are in the in the radio game. Um, never try a an impression that you've never done before on air live because it's just going to sound like you've sat on a duck or something. Uh, it's not going to go not going to go over well. Oh, but here's an impression that I have done before. Nancy Pelosi was asked. This was fun. Pelosi was asked, and she was once described to me as, um, and this I'm just quoting from a colleague of mine in government who had briefed her. He said that uh, this is his quote, was that she had the cold, dumb eyes of a goat, and the responses matched that perception that he got from her. And I was like, whoa, cold, dumb eyes of a goat. Wow. That was what he said. I was just like, that's harsh. And he goes, well, she's terrible. He said in the context, actually, of, uh, well, is that, mm, am I, yeah, I can talk about this, I guess, uh, the, of her response when she found out about uh, the surge going well. That's all I can tell you there. She was, uh, you'd, you'd think that, uh, that that would be something that, you know, would be somebody to be very happy about. You would think. But I digress. Um, so, where was I? Uh Oh, yes. Pelosi asked about the difference between uh, Loretta Lynch's meetings and, well, some other meetings that have occurred. Uh, Let's hear what she had to say. When there were issues with Attorney General Lynch and Bill Clinton in her context on whether or not she should have stepped aside, is there consistency or not? Well, let me thank you for your question, because there couldn't be a starker difference. Uh, Attorney General Lynch had a social encounter uh, serendipitous, serendipitous, some might say, that the former president of the United States came by to say hello when they discussed their grandchildren. She did not have a major role in the Hillary Clinton campaign. Uh, this is a completely different thing. The reason we have been saying that the attorney general Sessions should step aside and maybe should never have been confirmed is because he, he was a surrogate. That is the least convincing argument uh, I, I can't even believe uh, that, that she's making. That, that it was a social call. Oh, okay. It was just a lucky and happy coincidence that Loretta Lynch was going to have a, a chat on the, uh, on the tarmac with Bill Clinton with no one else in, in, able to hear. Um, it was just a lucky, lucky coincidence there uh, that, you know, uh, they were able to sit down, have that talk, nobody else around, and no need for a recusal there because it was social. Oh, and we believe who exactly there is making that case? Oh, that's right. We just have to listen to Bill Clinton. He's just, I mean, he's all about social. He likes to, he likes to get real social. And then there's Nancy Pelosi, who's, you know, she's just, it was a social call. I mean, come on. Really? Oh, Pelosi is, uh, it's, it is a discredit to our institution of government that she was at one point third in line for the presidency. I don't know what else to say. I am, I am not a fan. I am not a fan. Um, but I digress on that one. But yeah, this is a completely unconvincing argument that Pelosi in any way, shape or form uh, would, um, would try to say that this was just about social stuff and had nothing. There's no need for a recusal there. But it's it's this is the problem. You pointing out double standards with the Democrats, you're just you're gonna get frustrated and bored after a while because they don't care. They have no there's a lot you'll get away with when you have no standards to uphold, my friends. That's the reality. All right, we gotta hit a break. Be right back.
Hey, everybody, Buck's back. It's more of America Now. Throw in your two cents. 1-844-900-BUCK. That's 1-844-900-2825. I don't like that the political discussion in this country is so reflexively tribalistic now, or tribal. Just tribal, I guess I could say. But I don't like that it has turned into, there, there's no middle ground. Any any issues where this happens, it's not good for resolution. If you want to solve problems, if you want to get to the bottom of things, you want to have open and honest discussion from both sides of an issue. And what we have right now in this country is not that. Uh, because there's an understanding that the Trump administration is under siege, and it is. That's not a that's not a false perception, but it is under siege from a Democrat apparatus, which includes the media, which includes the Democrat Party, obviously, um, and other major institutions. The the bureaucracy we're seeing, also referred to as the deep state, and because you listen to this show, you know the deep state originally as a concept comes from Turkey. And it has to do with the fact that Turkey has had democratic elections stretching back to Ataturk, the founder of the modern Turkish state. Uh, but there have always been there, the military has always been in the background and has engaged in numerous coups, where coups d'état, a, a, a cut of the state, and they will swoop in. And it's usually to push back against, and in recent uh, decades, usually to push back against. Uh, Islamism in the government, if the secular nature of the Turkish constitution is violated by the elected government or there's a perception that it will be, or then the military steps in to, to set things right is usually how we see it here. But um, And that's the Turkish, uh, the, the, the deep state comes from Turkey, that there is a state within a democratic polity, uh, a state within a state, and that it is the military and the intelligence apparatus and that they aren't front and center necessarily, but that when push comes to shove, they're really calling the shots. Uh, they don't run the day-to-day of the government, but if you run afoul of the deep state, you are going to very quickly find yourself uh, deposed and possibly in prison. Uh, we've seen some of that here. Um, and you have people that are even saying that this is a patriotic thing to do, to leak classified information to leak classified information is something that is a, a good now. We are hearing from congressmen out there. Play clip 61. We are seeing an awful lot of leaks, and, and you ask yourself why, because the people who are leaking, whether they're within CIA or the Department of Justice, look, these are people who could be making an awful lot more money uh, anywhere else, and uh, you know, I work with them very closely. They are patriots. They care about the country. Okay. These are very sweeping generalizations. Uh, I will have you know, as somebody who used to work in the CIA, that it's not easy to, to leave there and make an awful lot of money elsewhere. While people, this is an, an aside, but for those of you who are curious, everybody you talk to when you leave CIA, or I shouldn't say everybody, most people you talk to when you leave CIA or one of these places, they're interested to hear about what you what you can say about what you did at least, but they're also not throwing a lot of money at you because they're so impressed or they think your skill set is so transferable. That's not true. This is why someone like me came out of the agency after a number of years and wanted to go to grad school because I knew that to transition effectively into the private sector, most likely a, uh, a, an advanced professional degree was, was a necessity. Ended up not happening, and thanks for listening to me on radio because now I'm here. Um, but 
that the, the I just think it's funny that this guy's saying, oh, because you know they're they could be making an awful lot of money elsewhere. I mean, they could be. Most of them would not be. And government work, there, there's a trade-off. The trade-off is you trade security for upside, and you have to get used to process being your product. When you're in the government, process is the product. You do other things. There are missions. There are uh, aspects of your job that are certainly worthwhile, but you are a part of a very large machine. You are a tiny cog in an enormous machine, and you better get used to the idea that you just like what you do day to day. You're not going to feel the earth move. Um, so there's that aspect of this, but also to suggest that it is a patriotic duty to leak information to damage an administration. Don't these individuals, whether in media or in the intel community, don't they realize that they are slowing down the government that has the responsibility of protecting all of the American people? They are making obstacles. They are creating difficulties that should not exist, that don't have to exist for a new administration uh, while we do have enemies plotting against us still. I can assure you that right now there are multiple, just to take one example, multiple Islamic State uh, cells that are at some stage of planning, training, equipping for a mass casualty attack in either America or Europe or against one of our allies or a U.S. installation somewhere. Right now that's happening. Now, I, I don't want to use this as a as a get-out-of-jail-free card for the administration. Oh, they've got more important things to do. They need to defend us there above criticism. I'm not suggesting that, but I also don't think that, I mean, look at look at what we've been forced to drill down into and, and the territory that we feel compelled to defend uh, in the Republican Party and, and on the right. Flynn's phone call to Russian ambassador, who cares? Je- Jeff Sessions misspeaking. I, I, I think that saying he lied is not fair, is not accurate. I also think that it's he could have been more forthcoming, as he admitted. I think that is misspeaking. I don't think that's spin. But Jeff Sessions misspeaking about, uh, what, two meetings that no one cares? That doesn't matter. It only matters if you think that there's this vast conspiracy, and these are all data points going into the vast conspiracy of a uh, Kremlin-Trump axis. But this is not important to U.S. national security. The Rush, They keep telling us that the Russians hacked into Podesta's accounts and I'm getting angry emails from some of you, by the way, that it was a leak, not a hack. Again, doesn't really matter, does it? Uh, hacking happens all the time. Leaks happen all the time. And the information that was exposed about Podesta was true. And I don't advocate for breaking the law to get access to information about politicians that I don't like. But it's not like they got access to the nuclear codes. You know, this isn't this isn't our most sensitive stealth technology or communications technology falling into the hands of the enemy. It's you know, Podesta talking about who's a jerk in the DNC and how Chelsea's a pain and all the rest of it. This is not the end of the world, but we're made to talk about this and it becomes a much bigger issue. And I'm just trying to put this in a context where we see that the goal for many on the left is just to slow down, to distract, to complicate, uh, to harry, to irritate, to annoy. I'm, I'm like a radio synonym sounder here right now, but that's what they're trying to do. And that has consequences. I would like to see the Trump administration do things that will help all of all of America. I, I really do. And, and I know that starts to sound like I'm giving a speech in front of a room full of Boy Scouts or something, but I would like to see the 
corporate tax rate go down because I think it'll be helpful to businesses. And I think a lot of Democrats will get jobs that wouldn't have had jobs, and Republicans, of course, but would get jobs that wouldn't have had jobs otherwise. I think that there are people to uh, p- people that will be able to see that an orderly immigration system is going to benefit American citizens and immigrants who want to go through the process legally. It's not about hate. It's not about being mean. You know, these are difficult decisions, and I understand that. But the uh, same thing with, with Obamacare. And, and read it. we were just talking to Ovik Roy before. You know, Ovik, who is an MD, by the way, and is the kind of guy who's an MD and a, and a, and a um, understands markets, too, and you know, financial markets, and is just like a savant. And he, I think he was a advisor to Rubio for his campaign on health care. And he was an advisor, I believe, in, in, attached to the Romney campaign. You heard what he was talking about with health care. Is he, is he suggesting, is he trying to pitch to you and me here on this show that old people should just be left out in the street, that poor people should die of preventable diseases and infections, that, you know, forget the poor, who cares about them? And, you know, of course not. He's proposing ideas and he's proposing policies that, and the same kind of policies that I support, that will mean that people have better health care, cheaper health care, and it's not just about keeping one political party in power. Again, Democrats would benefit from it. My Democrat friends who have Obamacare, which that has been a very interesting experiment. I know this is anecdotal, but I know some people who have had to get Obamacare, and they all hate it. They all say that it's terrible. The only people that can say that they that, that I've ever heard, and I don't know anybody in this circumstance, but can say that they like Obamacare or that they're very in favor of it, tend to be people that got Obamacare and then got really sick, had cancer, a, a very serious disease. And while I understand why they're thankful for that coverage, uh, the reality is that that's a small subset of the people that have been forced to get this very bad coverage. So, you're sure, it's good, and, and we should cover those people, and there should be a way to— and there will be ways to do that, but we're trying to make it better for everybody. We're actually not trying to exclude that this isn't about making Democrats get crappy health care and Republicans get good health care. These ideas that the administ- that the Trump administration, on, not on all issues, I don't agree with them totally. I don't agree with them on, on trade. I don't agree with them on um, trillion-dollar infrastructure spending. I don't, I don't, I, these are not things that I think are going to necessarily be good ideas at all. We'll have to see. We'll see if they do them. We'll see how they work out. But there's such an, a nastiness, um, you know, I, I, uh, from the other side, I knew when Obama was pitching Obamacare what it really was, which was a politically valuable tool for the Democrats that would expand a welfare program, Medicaid, for a lot of people who will then vote Democrat because they're getting something for nothing, and that would penalize people who are making uh, their own way in the world and paying for their health care. And, and give some of their money, uh, redistribute it in the form of health care to other people. And eventually that was going to extend to illegal immigrants, by the way. Uh, and, and I'm just not in favor of that because it makes the system worse. It's not even just that that's wrong. It is wrong, but it makes the system worse. You know, I'm, not, I'm not reflexive on these things. It's not a question of just, you know, my tribe good, their tribe bad. You know, my side good, their side bad. I disagree with what they're trying to do, or I disagree with their ideas in the past, and I disagree with their opposition now. But you get a sense from senior Democrats that it doesn't matter who suffers in this process. It doesn't matter to them. It doesn't matter to them what the costs are to all Americans. 
It's about their power and also uh, the confirmation of their belief system. The real end results of this, no serious person is going to come out and say Obamacare is great, it's working as planned. They know it's, it's a disaster and it's falling apart. They keep pushing off major parts of the, of the law, pushing it further down the, the pipeline in the future because they don't want people to really have to live under the law because they're going to hate it so much. We all know this. And yet you get the Chuck Schumers of the world who will just come out and tell you that whatever, whatever it takes to make Trump fail, they're in favor of. Play it. Mark Halperin. Senator, do you want Donald Trump to be a successful president, and do you think he can be? Well, the issue is not whether Donald Trump's a successful president or Chuck Schumer's a successful minority leader. The issue is, are we going to help the middle class people in America and those trying to get to the middle class? Thus far, this administration has done virtually nothing to help them and a good number of things to hurt them. Senator, let me, He's let me, done just, modify, let me just modify the way I asked you then. Do you think sure. he can be a successful president for America, and do you want him to be? Here's what I've told him. I said, when you ran as a candidate, you campaigned as a populist against both the Democratic and Republican establishments. Since you've become president, you have governed from the hard right and just done what the hard right wants. And the hard right is very far away from where the average American, even the average Republican is. Hard right how? By the way, in the same soundbite as you heard, he said he's done he's done nothing to help them and a good number of things to hurt them. And then he says he's done nothing. Well, has he done nothing or has he hurt people? It can't be both. He's either doing nothing or he's doing bad things, according to Schumer. And then when this uh, MSNBC uh, political analyst Halpern pushes him on this a little bit, he starts saying that Trump is governing from the hard right. Well, what is hard right about taking positions that are held by a lot of Democrats? I've mentioned them to you. Infrastructure spending, Bernie Sanders and Trump on trade are very close to each other. But you see, this is uh, I'm I'm trying to take them seriously. I'm trying to take the Democrat criticism seriously as I can. But when you push, when you scratch the surface, when you get a little deeper into it, you find out every time. Same thing. They just they just want Trump to fail. They want Trump to lose. They want to be in power. Has to be their way. They want their team to win. And if America suffers in the process, they don't care. They really don't care. And that's what bothers me so much about them. I would like to see things that are that make the country better for all of us, even the people who are Democrat, even people dumb enough to vote for Nancy Pelosi. I want the country to be better for them, although they all live in mansions in Marin County. Um, but I want the country to be better for them. They just want Trump to fail. Go into a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Freedom Hut team. Jeff in North Carolina wants to talk to us about Jeff from Alabama. Jeff's on WPTI. What's up? Hey, how are you, Buck? You do a great job. Love your show. Thank you so much, sir. Uh, Yeah, you know, I was uh, quite livid when uh, Jeff Sessions came out today and made his statement. I was really hoping he was going to say, look, I'm not recusing myself. I've done nothing wrong. I'm not recusing myself. I'm not stepping down. So you can just forget about it. It's not going to happen. I mean, every time we give them an inch, they take a mile. And my question, have we learned nothing? I think the answer, unfortunately, is yes. I think think Republicans, Republicans don't understand or don't seem to understand that Democrats Break the break the rules and rule book all the time, and then are the first ones to turn around and rave the wave the rule book in our faces. 
And that's what they do. That's and it, the game and they gets play. Us, and it gets us nowhere. And when are they going to learn the lesson to just hold the line? I was hoping, I was really hoping that President Trump would come out today. And he was going to make a statement and say, look, I'm going to back my guy right now. And I'm going to tell you, I'm just saying. You know, I'll tell you something, Jeff. I, I think that Sessions, I think that Sessions was the one that want, that, rec- that decided to recuse himself. I, I bet the Trump administration, because they already saw what happened with Flynn. I bet they were willing to fight on this, or at least some of them. I, I think that Trump himself would have been willing to take the heat and fight on this one. But I'm sure Sessions yeah. was Sessions was like, look, I, sh- I should have been a little more clear. It's a recusal. It'll go away. Let's just forget about it. And Trump said, all right. He probably deferred to him because my understanding is they, they're very close. They had a brief snippet of, of, you know, Trump being asked that question. And what do you think about it? And, it, you know, should he recuse, recuse himself? And he was like, no, I don't think he should. No. I mean, he, and that was it. And he was he was a little ticked off, you could tell, but he didn't say any more than that. But uh, anyway, and the other thing, you know, because you said a whole bunch of stuff. I wanted to talk about Sessions, but then you were talking about a whole bunch of other stuff while I was sitting listening. One of the things is, um, you know, you're not happy about, uh, Trump wanting a trillion dollars. I understand that. I understand that. I would not have wanted to give Obama or Hillary another dime because we Obama spent over $9 trillion. Sixty cents on every dollar fell into the, the Washington, D.C. black hole of, of bureaucracy. And if we're lucky, 40 cents on a dollar got spit back out into the country. And, uh, but I am willing to give Trump the money because I know he will spend it wisely and if Hillary would have got in it would we would have been they would have wanted multiple trillions more dollars so I'm willing to give Trump the trillion and he'll spend it wisely all right Jeff in North Carolina great to talk to you sir Shields high uh that's gonna be the show for tonight everybody please go to uh iHeart radio app or go on iTunes and type in Buck Sexton with American Hour just Buck Sexton and subscribe to the show back with you with a freestyle tomorrow night until then Shields High